G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is a pre-finals edition. No games to preview this week with the um, buy before the perhaps controversial buy before the finals, but plenty to talk about nonetheless, uh, including a big review of all those 10 clubs that missed out on the finals and are currently licking their wounds. We can tell you why they missed out and uh, what they need to do in order to get better next year. Plenty of news uh, besides that. As I say, very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? I'm going well. I'm missing the football. No footage. It's three days without it. That's about as long as we've had to go without it of recent times. But um, I guess I've got the finals to look forward to, and that is quite exciting for fans of St Kilda. In fact, I reckon for all fans, because it's been an extraordinary season, and I think all footy fans are curious as to how it's going to play itself out. I've got to be honest, I haven't missed it in the three days, although what I have noticed is you get, so into the routine of football morning, noon and night. But as soon as you fall out of it for 24 hours, let alone 72, it sort of feels like the season's over. So I've been uh, sitting there sort of twiddling my thumbs a bit at night um, and uh, looking for stuff to do. And um, there's going to be, what, six months of that soon. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, we've been through a fair bit. Well, 153 games We've got uh, nine to go. Um, the fact, as you said the other night, the fact we've had a season at all is something to be thankful for. Um, let's hope we get a cracking final series. You're looking forward to the, I've got to say, I am an Essendon supporter. My team is involved. One thing I am excited about is the diversity of teams we're going to have in the finals. You know, I, I love the fact that the top two places on the ladder are filled by two sides we're not used to being part of it. And uh, then you've got a the best side of the last few years in Richmond, a perennial in, in Geelong, the Pies and the Eagles, you know, always give good finals value. Uh, your upstart Saints who haven't been there for nine years uh, and the Doggies who could do anything. So it's a pretty good combination of teams, isn't it? Yeah, there's the known there's the unknown and uh, for dreamers uh, like St Kilda supporters there's always Footscray to go back and hopefully use as a precedent and even Richmond's rise was pretty meteoric so you know there's opportunities for teams that have not been there for a while albeit I think all falling behind Richmond and are we just watching another plank, albeit a very different one, to one of the great football eras. So, uh, yeah, I think there's plenty of interest in it right across the board. 
Well, it's funny, Fonny, you just mentioned the word plank and uh, it made me think of one thing in particular and that is a stale bread bun has the texture of a plank. And one place you will never, ever get a stale bread bun is at Andrew's Hamburgers, Fonny, because they have the best buns, not only in the country, but in the universe. Firm, yet giving, toasted, slightly toasted, and in between a hamburger to die for. Why don't you tell us about it? <laughs> no planks. No planks. It's a beautiful burger. It's a an Aussie burger, but it's not the Aussie burger. There's, you know, you don't have to throw a bit of beetroot in there or Hawaiian it up with pineapple. You can if you want to. It's just a big, two-handed, no boasting been doing it brilliantly for 81 years, hamburger. I guess when you're going that long at something and you've got a reputation for being the best, you get pretty good at it. I wouldn't go there. You know what? I wouldn't go to Andrew's Hamburgers to get my suit shortened or, or, or resized. I wouldn't go there to get my hair cut. I'd only go there for what they're good at, mate, what they're the best at. Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. No haircuts, no suit, no suit refittings, just bloody good burgers. Absolutely. My mouth is watering already. I, I'll tell you what else I just wanted to touch on quickly before we start. I had this amazing dream last night, and I, uh, I, I was wandering around this huge palace like a, you know, a sort of palace you'd get in a, a fairy tale about a prince and a princess. And it was just enormous. And there were rooms everywhere. And um, for some reason, I, I must have been destitute. I had no shoes on my feet and it was cold outside. And then I found myself in the palace and I'm walking across the floor of this massive ballroom. And then all of a sudden I noticed my feet, rather than being cold and frozen, were toasty and warm. And straight away, I made the realisation that this was a palace that had been renovated by only one firm. Did you have a pizza before you went to bed? No, why? Normally you have exotic dreams when you eat something just before you go to bed. <laughs> I always eat something before I go to bed, but it wasn't a pizza. <laughs> Nevertheless, I know that you've dreamt of a Nick Spartel's built West Point Properties home. Thank goodness it wasn't a nightmare because there are nightmare builders out there, Rowan. Not experienced, not approved. Cowboys, they call them. Well, this is at the other end of the building spectrum. A respected, award-winning, brilliantly designed home comes to you every time you get a West Point property built. That's Nick Spartels' property, West Point Properties, I'm glad you had that dream. It's exactly the sort of dream that keeps your feet warm and the cockles of your heart. Yes, indeed. You've got to look after those cockles. Uh, all right, uh, plenty to talk about. Let's do it. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, uh, plenty of news around and uh, one thing... I notice every year around this same time, just on the eve of the final series, how do you tell it's finals? Well, the weather's getting a bit warmer, stays uh, white a little bit later on. And the other third 
clear indicator that finals are around the corner is that all the major media organisations stop talking about them and start talking about that far more interesting period, the trade period. So that has ramped, no, I'm being facetious, but uh, plenty of trade talk around. We're not going to go on and on about it, but I think we do need finally to touch on uh, the official declaration from North Melbourne yesterday that their formerly gun spearhead Ben Brown is very much on the trade table. Wisp manager Brady Rawlings said, it's not a decision we've made lightly as Ben has been a tremendous part of our club since 2014. It was a very honest discussion. Ben was very mature and understood our decision. We will work with Ben and his management to secure a mutually beneficial outcome, which is fine and well. And, and look, we know North have had a horror season and they've clearly acknowledged that they need to do uh, as big a list rebuild as we've seen in recent times. But, and I have mentioned this, I just cannot get over the um, swift about face in fortunes on Ben Brown to the extent this is a bloke who was one of the nominees for the All-Australian squad three years in a row, including last year. Last year, he was runner-up in the Coleman medal to Jeremy Cameron. The last three seasons, he's kicked 64, 61 and 63 goals. Yes, this year he's had a shocker. He's also had a serious knee injury. But I haven't seen anything indicating it's uh, degenerative and that won't get better. I can't think of a player whose fortunes with his club have turned that savagely on the back of one poor season after so many years of sustained form, particularly being a key forward who are at a premium. I, I'm just I'm staggered by it. How do, how do you feel about this one? Well, it's obviously a decision that North have made in terms of going forwards with, as you say, a complete and savage rebuild, the likes of which we haven't seen in recent times. I can't really equate it with any, given that we don't even know what the list sizes are. 11 have been axed. Uh, ben Brown's on the table and there's still probably other players that they're willing to shop around as well. I mean, that's always part of trade week. Well, this is how big a rebuild it potentially is. Apparently, according to Caroline Wilson, they're looking at putting Arden Street on the trade table uh, in a bid to secure a home in Tasmania. Is that? Are you being? Are you joking? Oh, she's gone with that one again. <laughs> uh, I thought we could talk about that, and then I thought, no, look, there's at least ten other instances where she's bowled that one up. I don't know about Caroline Wilson's obsession with North Melbourne, but it's yeah, not yeah. It, it's not healthy, Caroline. Please, she, she wants to see them out of Melbourne. I don't know Caroline Wilson. Is is she the sort of person that has an "I told you so" complex? Because she seems desperate to end this argument with a "I told you so." Uh, if, yeah, if it takes twenty five years. It could be interpreted like that. In fact, some speculating that this may go back, of course, Caroline's father, Ian, long-serving and very successful president of Richmond, but a lot speculating that this goes back to Keith Gregg winning those two Brownlow medals ahead of <laughs> Kevin Bartlett in 73 and 74. Anyway, I'm being facetious. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so, I mean, 
Ben Brown, look, obviously, if North were trying to pick their best list for next season, he has to be part of it. But it seems as though they are pretty desperate to um, rebuild from the bottom up, and that means from the bottom of the ladder up. They're going to have a very inexperienced team next season, remembering that Ben Cunnington uh, has had almost the entire year off with a back injury. We have to wait to see how he fronts up for next season. And beyond himself and Todd Goldstein, Zebel and Higgins, who are all the wrong side of 30. I'm pretty sure Zebel's 30 now, isn't he? They really, you know, maybe Tarrant uh, just tucks underneath there. But really, they are going to be a very inexperienced side. And they will hope to develop in the next five years a key forward who returns them what Ben Brown returned them. But if they can't see him being part of that rebuild in the next three years, maybe they're trying to capitalise on what value he has now. Yes. Well, as to, you know, if and where he goes, I mean, there's one obvious destination. uh, I would have thought if a certain uh, spearhead leaves as he's mooted, and I'm talking about Joe Danaher, um, yep. with my Essendon cap on, I'd be more than happy for Ben Brown to join my club. It just, I don't know, look, it just smacks to me. It's almost like clubs get too clever by half and it's sort of like, yeah, we've got to think of the future. Well, yes, you do, but you can't completely forsake the present. And, uh, you know, Melbourne, I always hold up as an example of a club that did this. They sort of sold the farm in order to, look at something down the road and they ended up destitute as a result because they gave away some of their best players and their seniority and it took them years to recover really. So I, I just, you know, and okay, you get rid of Ben Brown, you get, I don't know, one or you know, a couple of draft picks for him. You pick up a couple of talented kids. Who knows what's going to happen to them? You know, they, you, they might have injuries. You've got to develop them. Things might not work out for them. This guy is a proven goal kicker. Uh, I just, yeah, it's, I, I would have thought he was definitely on the untouchable list. But these are the times we're in. I guess there's virtually no one who can't be um, seen as potential uh, a bartering or a bargaining chip. You know, if if the lure of the future is is that great, so. Um, put it this way, if Ben Brown is on the trade table, uh, there's not many players in the AFL that won't be figuring in uh, potential trades, I would have thought. That is sort of upping the ante considerably. Um, Robin, so, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, Robin. Reese Shaw appears to have um, pretty... Um, have come into that... has come into that role, certainly once made full-time senior coach with some um, pretty sort of uh, unshakable opinions about footballers that I don't think there was uh, much hope for a few of those footballers at North Melbourne once Reece Shaw took over. They might have got one year out of him, but a lot of them had their a line put through their name before the ball was kicked in anger, I reckon. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, you can give him points for having the courage of his convictions, I suppose. Now, the other big news uh, this week, and uh, in fact, it's on tonight, the announcement of the All-Australian team. This is 
generally the week where all the awards happen, but uh, they're all over the shop and being done virtually instead of the real thing. But the All-Australian team being announced tonight, we had the 40-man squad announced yesterday. Um, bit of hand-wringing as usual about players who probably a lot of people thought should have been in that who weren't. I guess the three most prominent excludees, which probably isn't a word, but I'm going to go with it anyway, were uh, Todd Goldstein of North Melbourne, who had by consensus a bloody good season. Well, he wasn't in the squad. Stephen May, who I think everyone thought had had a really good year in uh, defence for the Demons. Another one name that's been thrown around has been a bit stiff to miss out on the 40, Jared Lyons at Brisbane. Uh, any more in that sort of category, you think? Oh, yeah, I've got a few more. Certainly wouldn't have had Todd Goldstein, and I'll back that up with some stats shortly. But Stephen May had a great second half. You, you wouldn't have had Goldstein in the squad? A no, no not, squad. not even close. Not, not even close? Not at all. You can't say not no. even close, Fine. He's had a really good season. Uh, not not numerically and not influentially on the field. Um, and I've certainly got a player that... Look, I like squads that make sense in terms of picking a football team. And Nick Natanui, I think, is everybody's pick as first Ruckman. Well, there's no use putting another Ruckman in that team that requires to be first Ruckman. But even that besides... I'll give you my All-Australian team that plays better than having Max Gorn or Todd Goldstein as the second Ruckman. Regardless of that, Todd Goldstein's numbers were not outstanding this season and uh, he played in a team that had three wins for the year, so he wasn't all that influential. I mean, All right, all right. no, so just before we'll I'll, get... I'll yeah, I mean, on numbers he doesn't deserve to be in and on play he doesn't deserve to be in. Okay, um, we'll get you to go through your side, but just a few uh, details first about the makeup of it. This would be, well, potentially could be the most different looking all Australian side we've ever had. Uh, I thought I was quite taken by this stat of the 40 players. Um, you've got Paddy Dangerfield, he's been nominated seven times previously, Scott Pendlebury, six times. Uh, hand, a handful who've been nominated three times, Fife, Gorn, Martin, a few two and a few one. But 24 of the 40 players have never previously been um, All-Australian. So it could be an incredibly different-looking side. Yeah, it will be a different-looking side. And, uh, and that's... Maybe a, a, a nod to a 17-game season because those better players really over the, a 22-game season, the, 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 the more familiar names do, I think, eventually statistically and even, you know, just in terms of their football, uh, sort of shine longer than some of the stars that have shunned this year uh, for 17 games. But we're picking it in a different season. We have to be honest for the selection process, don't we? All right. Well, we've seen plenty of uh, critics rattle off their versions of all Australian teams. Uh, I know you've gone to some trouble to put yours together. I actually didn't get 
time to get around to it myself. But uh, let's run through your All-Australian side for 2020 from the back line, if you will. Okay, I start with a player who wasn't nominated, I think, incredulously. So Tom Stewart from Geelong, yeah. who he only missed three games with that collarbone, but he's, I think he's fantastic. He marshals the back line, averages 19 touches, never makes a mistake. Harris Andrews at fullback, who I think will get the nod. And I really hope Luke Ryan gets the nod as well. He's one of the newbies that you alluded to. Yeah. And I think he's had a fantastic season. Remember that uh, Fremantle have been without Hamling, Logue, who went back. So he's not only done a lot of the work in... And Pierce. And Pierce, of course, in, in ball transition, which he's very good at. But he's had to be a, a defender in the truest sense because he's been called on that as well. So a great season. Half-back line, Caleb Daniel, I think, has earned his spot. I really think he's earned his spot. Centre-half-back was very difficult for me. Now... It actually, for me, came down to Darcy Moore and Stephen May. So May was unlucky by my estimation. I went with Darcy Moore mm-hmm. before nominations, and I must oh, now, be hang on, very... wait, I've got, I've got to, I've got to preempt this one. Have yep. you gone for a Darcy next to a Darcy? Correct. So I became enamoured with the name Darcy, and I've Darcy, I've, I've Darcyed up. Doubled up my Darcy's. I reckon Darcy Byrne Jones is a, a ripper. Mm, uh, been great. He's had a fantastic season, and he's been he's he's now recognised as a as a very highly skilled, but also courageous back flanker. So he earns his spot now. He's, he's got when, uh, lovely parents too, Darcy. Can I just say? Spent some time with the Byrne Joneses in Shanghai. In 2018, lovely people, along with Jane Wines, of course. Gee, you you really hung out with these the older generation, didn't you? You were I'm old. <laughs> well, I guess where we belong. Um, Stenderline, uh, I've got no problems putting Agaf on a wing again. I know his numbers probably. Uh, some people say the most impressive thing about him is the number of possessions he gets. Well, you know what. It's so easy. Why doesn't every other player get the ball that often? He's I reckon he's, he's the most genuine wingman in the competition, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Bradley Hill. But I'm not saying Bradley Hill had a good season. I think they're both real wingmen and Isaac Smith. But uh, Gaff's output, undiminished. In the centre, I had Travis Boak. What a good season he had, eh? Mm. Really good season. And on the other wing... Look, I, I have not gone for a true wingman, and sometimes that is criticised. But if any midfielder could play wing, I really believe this guy can. So I put Scott Pendlebury there. Um, the unlucky player for me is not McCluggage. I don't think he had a, a ripping season, McCluggage. He was good, very good, and hopefully better to come. But he had his quiet moments. The unlucky player is Menegola. Oh, yeah. But I've gone with I've gone with Pendlebury. Half forward line is my controversial line. Um, so I've gone Petrarca on one half forward flank. Yeah. And he's played plenty up forward. The controversy comes at centre half forward. And I've put Marcus Bontempelli there. Mm. I know he's not half forward, but at six foot four, and he plays forward a fair bit. Um, I, I 
I'll explain why when I read out my whole team. And on the other half forward flank, I've got Paddy Dangerfield. And Dangerfield not only is playing more forward as his career um, plays out, but we've been sort of telegraphed by Chris Scott that expect to see him there in the finals. Mm. Um, the forward line is Dustin Martin because he too is highly influential as a forward. And um, yeah, he'll play, he'll cut, he'll run through the midfield plenty, but I don't think it's wrong to name him in the forward line. Tom Hawkins, of course, at full forward and Liam Ryan, who is a superstar in the other pocket. Yep. So I have not named Dixon or Gunston the two next best goal-kicking forwards. Um, look, Dixon's very influential, but look, I think he kicked 31 or 32 goals for the season. And to be honest, even in the abbreviated season with shorter quarters, given that they kick the ball to him every time they go forward, for me, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. So my ruckman is Nick Natanui. My ruck rover is Jack Steele, and my rover is Lockie Neal. I think Steele, Neal, and Boak have been sort of acknowledged as the informed midfielders of the competition. We needed so, a ruckman called Peel. Yeah, that would have Peel, Steele, and Neal. Mm. Yeah. Um, Do you think I'm being a bit flippant about this year's All Australian team? No, I like yours. No. It's good. Keep going. Interchange. So, all right. So the interchange is really important because remember, I'm picking a team that I want to go out and play football for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first man I'm naming is Cam Guthrie because he absolutely deserves to be in this 22. Yeah, I agree. He has. He has. Given the coach the flexibility, even without Ablett and Selwood to play Dangerfield forward, he has been a revelation. And if he's not put in that team, I'll be really upset. For example, if he misses out to Fife, that is absolutely wrong on Mm. numbers and on form and on consistency. My second on baller, I cannot believe, was not nominated in the top 40. Because I love him in this team because I can use him as a small forward as well. Shy Bolton has been brilliant this season. Mm. Um, His clearance work out of the middle. His ability still to kick a goal. Wow, I'd have him in my All-Australian team. I can't believe he hasn't been named in the 40. Um, My third interchange is, I, I think he's not been nominated. Toby Green. No, he hasn't. Why not? His reputation, I reckon, has been enhanced this year. In a difficult year for GWS where they've been shit outs, he's been, unless he's been playing, they've had no hope whatsoever. Mm. It, it's Toby Green or bust. And I love him because if I'm playing a game, imagine having him to come into the forward line if you want to change it up. And finally, my last pick is the key to the whole team. Because you see, Nat Nui only played 63% of game time this year. And that is part of his brilliance, that he's not on the field all that often. So the second Ruckman needs to be a Ruckman forward because he's going to be playing forward 70% of the season. And for that, I absolutely pick Rowan Marshall. Now, listen to Rowan Marshall compared to, say, Todd Goldstein. This year, Rowan Marshall, even though he only rucked half the game, averaged 144 Possessions a game, 
as Goldstein against Goldstein, 14.98. That's a pretty good effort when you're spending half the time in the forward line. Rowan Marshall took 72 marks this year, 26 contested. Todd Goldstein took 33 marks this year, 11 contested. Todd Goldstein kicked six goals this year. Rowan Marshall kicked, or 6-6. Rowan Marshall kicked 13-10. Now, even against Max Gorn, Rowan Marshall, sorry, took 27 contested marks against Max's 26 for the season. Max Gorn Gorn kicked one goal for the year. Rowan Marshall, 13. So if you're looking for a Ruckman forward, I reckon your man is Rowan Marshall. And that way... That way you can put him into the forward line and go with a, a double-pronged marking forward line with Hawkins and Marshall and release Bontempelli and all the rest of the guys in the midfield. That's a, it's a good team, Fanny. I like it. Um, I, I think your arguments are persuasive. I noted the uh, um, plentiful use of statistics, which I approve. And uh, we will tell you what I'll do, everyone. I will put Fanny's team up on the podcast link on the Footyology site. So look out for that. No, well done, Finding. I think uh, you've done very well on that one. All right, there's enough news. Uh, we have got a review of each of the 10 clubs who missed out on the finals, ready to go. Let's do that. On Footyology, wrap around. All right. Ten clubs missed out. Why did they miss out? We're going to work our way down the ladder and go through each one. Coming in ninth spot this season was Melbourne. Uh, It's the second time they've been ninth under Simon Goodwin. Nine wins and eight losses. In terms of points for and against, they were ranked eighth for points scored and eighth for points against, so uh, pretty much in keeping with their position on the ladder. I think Melbourne fans would be pretty disappointed for any. They looked for a lot of it like they were going to make finals and didn't. A couple of costly stumbles up in Cairns against uh, Sydney and Fremantle. What do you make of the Demons? Well, for me, the Demons, yeah, pretty disappointing, and I'll explain why. I've actually got for all of the teams key players and the number of games that they missed. And the minimum qualification is four games. Melbourne had nobody. So Max Gorn missing three games is their biggest key player that missed games. Nobody else. Leading goal kicker, Bailey Fritch, 22. Wiedemann, 19. They had five players kick 10 goals or more. And just an interesting fact, they had eight goalless quarters but at least none of them were scoreless. Look, for mine, the Demons made up some of the ground lost last year in that terrible season of 2019, and they were alive until the last round in terms of making a final spot, but I actually believe that they are a a rung below those teams above them, and it all falls down to a forward line that doesn't have much bite to it. So they need to improve by going to the trade table this year with a clear vision of what they need. And what they need is another key forward and some more scoring power. The future's not terrible. They need some outside run too, but they have to identify and go after what they need. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, certainly agree on the uh, forward stuff. I, st- I still think they're chronically short of leg speed and, and run and carry through the midfield. Now, Ed Langdon in that regard was a, a really good pickup for them. I thought he had a good season. Tomlinson, not so much, but that's still a deficiency. But yeah, it, it's up forward. I mean, they ranked 11th for scores per inside 50. So that's not great. Far too reliant upon Sam Wiedemann, who, you know, is still sort of feeling his way a bit. Plenty of speculation about Tom McDonald's future and the jury very much out on whether he can be a decent key forward. I think more probably leaning to him being more a defender than a forward these days. So he might even end up elsewhere next year, in which case it's even a bigger hole that needs to be filled. Um, But yeah, pace and run and forward targets. Um, You know, look, they they ranked 13th for disposals, so don't get their hands on the footy enough. 16th for uncontested ball. That points to that deficiency in terms of um, the outside run. Uh, Not a great defensive side, 17th for tackles. So, you know, there's a, a few problems to address, but certainly goal-kicking. I mean, you just got to have more key targets than a fairly slightly built, uh, you know, still inexperienced key forward in Sam Wiedemann. Bailey Fritch had his moments, but, uh, you know, he's cream on the cake. You can't be basing a forward structure around him. So, yeah, look, obviously a lot better than the nightmare that was 2019. Um, So I wouldn't be throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but still plenty of surgery needed on that list, I think. So the Demons, ninth. Let's talk about tenth. Well, when you're talking about most disappointing teams of 2020, uh, this mob would certainly have to be right up there, if not the winner or slash loser. And I'm talking about GWS, and there's a simple uh, reason for that. Uh, A grand finalist last year won't even be part of finals the following year. That points to an Annis Horribilis, and uh, I think in the end that's what they had. They finished 10th, eight wins, Nine losses. Uh, In terms of points scored, they ranked only 10th. Defensively, uh, again, mid-table, they were 8th for fewest points conceded. Um, We've had a couple of retirements or a retirement announced already with uh, Sam Jacobs. Surely Shane Mumford follows, so there's some ruck issues to sort out. Some uh, lack of motivational issues, some would say, for key forward Jeremy Cameron. And a, a general sense of uh, unease and unsettlement and a, a confusing game style too. I didn't like the way they played their footy in 2020, Finally, What do you make of the Giants? Well, it's uh, unfortunately season ends with GWS on the nose and it's a far cry from how they ended uh, last year, even though they did get thumped in the grand final, there was great optimism about what they could do building on that foundation. But boy, oh boy, as you say, Sam Jacobs, a bit of a surprise that he doesn't want to continue, especially because Mumford's retiring. The spot was his. Zach Williams has told the club he wants he wants out, that he wants to go back to Victoria. Of course, we've already had Aiden Core walk out on the team. So 
there is a genuine feeling of a sort of debunking, if not rats leaving ship. Let's have a look at the players that they missed, key players that missed chunks of the season. The underrated Sam Taylor, 13 games. Callan Ward, 11 games. Phil Davis, seven games. Six games, Taranto. Six games, Zach Williams. So certainly the defence impacted upon there. Jeremy Cameron, 24 goals. Finlayson, 19 goals. Uh, were their main goal kickers. They had five guys kick more than 10 goals and eight goalless quarters, which I guess is something they've been capable of even when they were making the grand final. They had a few of those in 2019. Look, for GWS, it seems as though the wheels have fallen off, doesn't it? And unfortunately, just before the wheels completely fell off, they reappointed their coach, which might be a case of putting the wagon before the horse because whether or not Leon Cameron is the man to lead them out of what is troubled times, the fact is he's had a very good crack at leading them to the promised land and this has been a real rebound back the other way of which he needs to take responsibility. You're right, Rowan, game plan sketchy. It seems as though unless they're rolling from full back to full forward with, you know, the play of the day, they're not really attacking with much verve at all. In other words, unless they can scythe through the middle of the ground, Harlem Globetrotter style, they get very nervy, negative, and go very wide and very slowly. Unfortunately, the other big problem that they've got is not only have they got a disinterested full forward, but they've got a forward line that without Toby Green seems dysfunctional. Finlayson maybe, I don't want to say he, and he's resigned, I don't want to say he was a flash in the pan, but is he consistent enough? I think that they're in for trouble times, Rowan. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, definite age issues with that list. They are one of the oldest lists in the competition. You've got Heath Shaw. We don't know about his future, but hasn't got long left, even if he plays on. Phil Davis getting towards the end as well. Uh, one thing I noticed, their defence, uh, in the way that the forward setups reliant on Toby Green, I think the defensive setup is way too reliant upon Nick Haynes, who, uh, if he's removed from the equation as an intercept marker doesn't leave them with a lot. So they've got list issues. They've got age issues. They've definitely got game style issues, I think. And uh, all in all, a pretty dramatic fall from grace from a side that played off for a premiership last year. Plenty of work and thinking for the newly appointed Leon Cameron to do. Let's move on. All right, coming in 11th, always a lot of interest in the fortunes of this old and proud club, not so successful in recent times. I'm talking about Carlton. They finished 11th on the ladder, seven wins and 10 losses. Uh, Points scored, they ranked ninth in the competition. Fewest points conceded, only 13th. So they could be a bit leaky on occasion. Certainly had their moments, and uh, seems a long time ago now, Finey, but uh, that was a great win against Geelong, down at Geelong early in the season. Also, of course, that famous post-siren kick by Jack Nunes to beat Fremantle in Perth, another great win. Had periods where they played some great footy, but their big Achilles heel this year was a real susceptibility to run-ons 
from opponents. The number of times they conceded runs of five, six goals in a row, it meant uh, a lot of times they either started slowly and had too much work to do to get back into a game, or they built up a decent lead as against Hawthorne that uh, famous day in Perth where they were uh, five, six goals up and lost by almost as much. That has to be arrested, uh, speaks to concentration issues. Some good signs, Harry Mackay coming into the uh, equation and becoming a really consistent player. Sam Walsh had a, a really solid second year in the end, I thought. Um, I don't know, I, I feel with the Blues, like people think they should be further advanced than they actually are. Where do you think they're at? I think that they're well-placed in terms of going forward with a couple of additions. They desperately needed a couple of spots filled. I'll get to that in a sec. Players, key players missing this year, Charlie Curnow all season, 17 games. Then not a lot. Jack Silvani, 14. Zach Fisher, 9. So Zach Fisher certainly missed when he's not played. Jack Silvani maybe... um, almost fringe in that team. Harry Mackay, 21 goals. Lee Casbolt, 16. But Mackay, as you pointed out, has he got a future? He finished the season absolutely full of running. Just about almost the best key forward in the comp behind Tom Hawkins, by the way the season ended, honestly. Six players kicked more than 10 goals for the year, which is good this season. They had 11 goalless quarters, and one of them was completely scoreless. Look, you put Kerno into that field line with Mackay, that's serious business, isn't it? I think they, I, you know, I believe they need an upgrade on Eddie Betts as a small forward. No disrespect to the career, but I think they'll be looking around. They need a, a Ruckman. GWS are in the market for a Ruckman. Cruz has had to retire. Pitnet. Proved to be a brave soldier and De Conning shows some promise for the future. But I think they'd love somebody for now because I think they're ready to make an assault on the eight with those couple of improvements. The back line to me holds solid, especially with the return of Doherty and Wiedering having an excellent season. So they tick a lot of boxes. Nunes was a very good pickup in the finish, not just for that goal, but for the way he played. Uh, again, a couple of targeted recruits. And don't forget, Cripps played this year injured and he is capable of much better. So I think real upside for Carlton. Yeah, I, I agree. Interesting you say the back line's very solid because uh, talking, of course, about Zach Williams, a lot of interest in him going there and Adam Sart uh, being associated with the Blues as well. So they clearly think they need to generate a fair bit more run and rebound off halfback. I would have thought a bigger deficiency still is midfield depth because uh, it's sort of underlined to me in the, you know, up and down and injury afflicted season that Patrick Cripps had. Look, even with Walsh playing good footy, you need more than that. You know, it's got to be the midfield workload's got to be carried by more than two main soldiers. Look, Murphy had a, a really good season and he's playing on, so some plus there. But he now is more of an outside wing-type player, cream on the cake, if you like. So I reckon they still need uh, plenty of midfield depth. Maybe someone will emerge there who can pick up a slack. Maybe they might target 
a midfielder who's not getting footy at one of the clubs with deep midfields. But I still think that's an area they need to address. Totally agree on Charlie Kerno. You put Kerno into a forward setup with Mackay. Um, and uh, look, small forwards, I, I wouldn't underestimate the capacity of uh, Gibbons to supplant the Eddie Betts role too. So it'd be interesting to see what sort of development they get from within. Uh, but I still think plenty of promise for Carlton looking ahead to 2021. Let's move on. Coming in 12th on the ladder was Fremantle. They had seven wins and 10 losses. Uh, have a look at the points for and against, and you see where no doubt their greatest deficiency is. They chronically lack scoring power, finishing only 16th for points scored. Uh, very strong defensively, though, fifth in the competition for fewest points conceded. Pretty impressive for a non-finalist. Um, really good first season by Justin Longmuir as coach, Finey. I think uh, plenty of promise with them. Uh, Luke Ryan, as you mentioned earlier in this show, had a fantastic season for them. Uh, they are strong all round defensively. I think uh, Brayshaw and Chera are two players who continue to develop for them. Caleb Sarong probably going to win the Rising Star. And Matt Tabner up forward, whilst they are deficient up forward, he was a plus for them too, I think. Finally found some durability and some consistency with his form. So plenty to look forward to. I'm quite bullish about the Dockers' future. How are you on them? Yeah, look, I, I, I am very impressed by Longmuir's debut season. When you have a look at the players that they missed this year, especially through the back line, Joel Hamling, 17 games, Alex Pierce, 17 games, a full season. Griffin Logue, who really looked like he had um, stepped up and was playing great football deep in defence, went down after the first five games, so he missed 12. Hogan, Jesse Hogan up forward 10. Blake Akers missed 10 games and looked very good at the end of the season. Darcy got nine games. As you said, Tabner had a very good season with 29 goals. Walter's always dangerous, their second highest goal scorer with 18. They had five players kick more than 10 goals for the season. They had 12 goalless quarters and three scoreless quarters. So you're right, they can still find it hard at times to hit the scoreboard. And that will come, hopefully as this team develops a stronger midfield, which they started doing this season. As you say, Sarong, fantastic. You love matching up Hogan and Schultz, but Schultz finished the season off really well. This is a side that has generally been, I think for a lot of football supporters, um, a bit of an all-star Even though they've made a grand final in the last decade, that quickly evaporated under what seemed to be a defensive obsession with Ross Lyon at the helm. It's taken a little while to shrug that reputation, even when Ross was there. But this team seems hell-bent on playing attacking football, even though there are times when they're not scoring heavily. They're, I think they've got a real workhorse in Sean Darcy in the ruck, and uh, when he didn't play, they really missed him. If they can get Hogan and Tabner on the field together, and it seems as though they're both fit and will be right for the start of next season, hopefully, both sound mind and body there. 
I think they can build a really decent forward line with Walters at the drop and Fife coming forward on occasion. So the formula is there to move up the ladder. It's another side outside the eight that would have ambitions, certainly of putting pressure on the eight, if not making it. So I reckon next year is going to be pretty exciting, Rowan. Yeah, I, again, I agree. The one player we hadn't mentioned, actually, I thought he was a big improver. And you mentioned, you know, their major losses to the back line, uh, Pierce, uh, Logue and um, Hamley. Yep. And uh, Brennan Cox, I thought, really emerged to uh, offer some really meaningful support to Ryan down there. So he was a big plus for them too. I want to see them become a bit more adventurous with how they move the ball. Um, it was interesting over the off-season, there was a lot of talk about them becoming a more attacking, positive side. In the end, they ended up making a lot of that ground up based on the uh, solidity of their defence. But that's fine. That's sort of a good building uh, block. And I think now you need to start adding to that. As you say, a more stable forward setup will help do that. And a bit more confidence will help too. And this has been a good year for instilling that and for the coach becoming familiar with the players at his disposal. So, uh, you know, if you're looking for potential improvers into the upper echelon for next year, Fremantle is certainly one you'd have high on your list. Let's move on to 13th, and I'm not looking forward to this one. Well, this was a car crash dressed up as a football club. Who am I talking about? Of course, it's the Essendon Football Club who managed to win just one of their last 10 games. And in retrospect, the wins they got early in the season, pretty hollow. All struggling wins uh, against sides that ended up being near the bottom of the ladder, with the exception of Collingwood. The biggest winning margin in any game was 16 points, so it was always a struggle for them. And it just fell apart at the end. They looked uh, unsettled. They looked uh, completely lacking in motivation. There's now talks about uh, a, a mini player exodus with Danaher going, Saad going, Fantasia going. Uh, we've got a, a very messy coaching handover, which has now finally taken place, but that hardly worked out well. They ended up 13th, just six wins for the season, 10 losses and a draw. Uh, weren't very good either offensively or defensively, ranked only 14th for points scored. 15th for fewest points conceded. Their key defenders, Hurley and Hooker, are getting old and are pissed off. That probably doesn't help. Uh, look, pluses, Jordan Ridley, outstanding. What a fantastic effort by a guy to come from single-figure games played to winning a best and fairest. Remarkable. Uh, and he is certainly a long-term star of that club. Andy McGrath battled on Manfully all year. Kyle Langford, finally, my boy Wangers, finally got some improvement and uh, became a consistently good player midfield and forward. So not without pluses. Darcy Parrish, I thought, took another step. But uh, the problems there are everywhere, both on and off the field. So much work to be done. I think personally, finally, they have to go right back to the drawing board, give away the trade table, load up at the draft and actually develop these players, which has been another systematic failure of that football club for a long time now. How do you see the Bombers? Um, I agree with those positives that you did mention. And one positive I would like to throw in there is Sam Draper. 
while clubs will be searching for Ruckman next season, Essendon don't need to do so. They've got a real physical man. Looks like the new Mumford. In terms of games missed by leading players, the problem with this list is some of these guys aren't going to be there next year. And some of these guys are sort of um, uh, chronically injured. So Heppel, 14. Danaher, 13. Fantasia, 12. Stringer, 7. Zaharakis, 7. Now, goals. McDonald, Tipper and Witty. Didn't have a great season, but led the goalkeeper in 19. Stringer, 15. Four players kicked more than 10 goals for the season, which is scant. And Essendon only have five goalless quarters, which is low, even for the finalists. So well done, Essendon. Managed to kick one goal in a lot of quarters. The problem for the Bombers is what seemingly, what seems to be uh, a lost lost um, sort of mojo. It was only a couple of years ago under John Worsfold that this team was the most gung-ho and attacking team in the competition and arguably the best team to watch in the competition. It had to be tempered a little bit because some of that gung-ho football came at the expense of traffic the other way. But it seems as though it's completely been lost. It's completely been um, supplanted by a very negative, nervous and at times lacking in confidence ball movement that was highlighted in that game against St Kilda, now famous game against St Kilda, and I think Essendon supporters, yourself included, had enough Rowan. So, unfortunately, with a new name on the um, coaches board, but no real change in terms of ethos because he was part, Ben Rutten was part of the team that steered this ship down to a sort of, um, what's it called, the briny depths. I, I, I fear that Essendon, at the moment, don't have a lot to look forward to for season 2021. No, couldn't agree more. I think it's a classic case of a side that overestimated where it was at, uh, loaded up on senior recruits for a crack at it. That hasn't eventuated. Now there's got to be an acceptance that uh, you've had a crack and pulled up short and you've got to start again. I'm not sure they're in a position to um, have reached that acceptance. Certainly all the noises coming out of their best and fairest uh, the other night seemed to indicate that uh, they didn't think major surgery was required. I think that is completely delusional because they're deficient in every area, including the midfield. And there's a core of which a long-term side can be built around of no more than half a dozen players, absolute top. So uh, you have to reach acceptance. I don't think they have. And I think unless they do, they're sentenced to a couple, not just one. Uh, of miserable seasons. All right, that's enough about them. Let's talk about the side that finished 14th. Well, they started well, they finished not so well, and it's become a pretty familiar refrain for this club. We're talking about Gold Coast, they finished 14th with five wins, 11 losses, and a draw. In terms of points scored, they ranked 12th. Uh, fewest points conceded, they ranked 14th. 
Uh, this Viney, I think, by my count, is about four or five seasons now in a row where they've won a number of games early, look good, and this time I don't think they fell in a heap, but uh, seldom look like winning towards the back end of a season. Uh, the loss of the absolutely outstanding debutante Matt Rowell was clearly a major part of that diminishing in returns. Uh, look, I still think their future's okay, but uh, we're certainly not as bullish about their future as we were only a couple of months ago. What did you make of the Suns in 2020? Well, interestingly, Matt Rowell missing 12 games was really the only um, player of note that missed games through injury for the entire season. They had a very good run with injury, apart from Matt Rowell. And that, I guess, um, and by the way, I'm, I'm taking uh, the defender, uh, Rory Thompson. What's his name? That is it Rory, Rory Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, I mean, he's been off the scene for so long, I just can't factor him in. But Ben King, very impressive with 25 goals, Alex Sexton, 19. And they had six players kick 10 or more goals, which is encouraging. Seven times they were held goalless in a quarter. Three of those times they didn't score at all. So they can certainly be frozen out of games. And, and at times they once again, looked like sort of the junior football club of the competition, which is a bit of the reputation that they've got, isn't it? That they are, um, they're trying their guts out. They've got some good youngsters, but that they are more junior than the other 17 teams, if that makes any sense. And there wasn't really a heck of a lot done this season to sway the opinion back the other way that they are, maturing into a, a rock-hard AFL team, except when Matt Rowell was playing. Now, that puts a lot of pressure on him when he comes back next season. He can't do it all, but he seems to be able to, inside, outside, goal-kicking and goal, you know, that, that sort of kicking the goal that wins the game. Interesting player, Isaac Rankin, wasn't he? Did some of the spectacular stuff, also did some silly almost selfish stuff. So great deal of talent there, but it does need to be harnessed. You can't just tell the kid to go on the field and enjoy himself. He needs to be team conscious. Uh, I think that they keep the band together. Um, there are suggestions that maybe uh, one big forward wants home, but that might be later rather than sooner. So they've got an opportunity to possibly uh, – build on what was not a great season, but an improvement, I think, on the previous three. Not going to fly up the ladder, but surely some improvement can parlay into some more improvement and be the stepping stones for future success. Yeah, a few names we should mention on top of those we have. Noah Anderson, um, you know, lived in real shadow, but uh, he was able to play a full season and I think um, had some pretty good returns. Their senior pickups were very, very handy. Both Hugh Greenwood and Brandon Ellis became absolutely fundamental to their midfield performance. Their defence, pretty handy too. Sam Collins, he's a good player for them. Charlie Ballard, I think, took another step. And, of course, our favourite, Jack Lacocious, who was precocious and knew how to make the pros blush, as Kim Carnes would have said. <laughs> 
I don't know why we keep going with that, but it's just too tempting. Um, look, there, you know, there's plenty of light on the uh, horizon for them, but uh, psychologically, as much as anything, they've just got to develop a tougher edge. They didn't get blown away nearly as much this year, and that's a that's one step, but plenty more steps forward they need to take under the coaching of Stuart Dew. Uh, all right, that is the Suns. They finished 14th. Uh, here's an unfamiliar name for a side that finished in 15th. Well, rare territory indeed. The Hawthorne Football Club, the phenomenal success of the last 50 years of football, not so in 2020. They finished 15th on the ladder with just five wins for the season, 12 losses. They were ranked only 11th for points scored. Here's the uh, real surprising one. Defensively, the third worst team in the competition for points conceded, ranking 16th. Um, And they fell in a heap. They were actually 3-1. It's hard to believe now, but they were 3-1 and had a fantastic win over Richmond where they looked right on song. Plenty of dash and dare that night with Isaac Smith uh, uh, leading the way there from the wing. But fell in a heap. They lost 11 of their next 12 games. Had a good little moment at the end there with a, a big win over Gold Coast with uh, both Ben Stratton and Paul Puopolo bidding farewell. But uh, I think, finally, they're, they're paying a, a, a price partly due to circumstances. I think, you know, they have so successfully for so long uh, topped up with players uh, shrewdly acquired at the trade table. It hasn't left them with enough emerging talent, I don't think. And um, uh, they have a major rebuild on their hands. Of course, they've got the best coach in the caper, Alistair Clarkson, to lead the way with that. It's going to be interesting to see if they can bounce back for another crack in the next few years. How do you see the Hawks this season? Well, I agree with you. I just don't think that there's a, a, a promising raft of youngsters coming up through the club that it's still one with a great deal of hope that they can solve the problem from within. Have a look at the MIAs, Jonathan Patton, 11 games, but we can't be sure that he's really the answer anyhow. Isaac Smith, seven. Sicily missed for six games, will be missed for most of next year as well, which is a huge problem. Jager O'Meara, five games, and they were sort of dotted throughout the season, which tells a bit of a tale about his body. Gunston, 31 goals, was fantastic. Wingard 18 was fantastic. No problems there. Five guys kicked more than 10 for the season. Hawthorne, uncharacteristically, had seven goalless quarters and really uncharacteristically, two scoreless quarters. Now, Puopolo and Stratton have departed. There are still some ageing warriors there that either are going on or have a question mark over them. We know that Burgoyne is continuing for another season. McAvoy will continue. Frawley, a question mark. Henderson, a question mark. If no, not, Henderson's retired. I think that's done. I was going yeah. to say, if not finished. Um, Shields is not a baby. But none of them are, in fact. I mean, look, they're triple premiership players, some of them four premiership players. So we're talking about guys that have been around for a long time and fantastic servants of the club. 
But whether or not they will be able to sustain another strong season remains to be seen. So Tom Mitchell didn't come back after that terrible broken leg. Hopefully another pre-season serves him well and he can lift his rating. Uh, Warple was pretty good throughout the season. Yeah, I, just, I thought, sorry, just let me check yeah. in. I thought a few people have been a bit tough on Warple. I reckon he had a pretty reasonable season. Yeah, he was pretty good. They don't have a lot of depth in the midfield. We know that the guys that they called to be extra midfielders went through a revolving door process. The likes of a, a Hanrahan, for example. You know, he, he wasn't the answer on the three separate occasions they tried him. Scully, for me, is not a great impact player. And, yeah, maybe there's a spot in the team for him, but not a spot in a powerful team. So... Hawthorne are betwixt and between for mine. They've, they've got a few irons in the fire. Uh, they've got some still some quality players. They've got some talent coming up in terms of Day and Scrimshaw especially. Promising youngsters there. And they've still got some older players who are going to be there next season. It, it's a foot in more than one camp. And I'm not quite sure what direction they're headed in but it's pretty murky for mine. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one guy we didn't mention, I thought this guy showed a, uh, some reasonable form towards the end. That was James Cousins. So Day, Cousins, Scrimshaw, certainly three guys who did and, and can continue to make a difference. One thing I want to say about them, uh, Joe, I was thinking it when you mentioned Liam Shields, Luke Bruce, of course, in this category as well. It's not just that they decided to top up at the trade table. It's that their veterans have been both so durable and so consistently good for them. It means that they haven't made way for the kids as rapidly as you'd find happening at other clubs. So the younger guys are being denied opportunity, but not through poor uh, decisions on lists or anything. It's just that their veterans have been so outstanding um, it's got in the way of uh, enough of the younger guys having opportunity. And so they, they have definitely paid a price for their own tremendous success, I think, the Hawks. They haven't done everything right, but uh, they are an interesting fork in the road, no doubt about that. All right, let's talk about 16th. Well, sometimes you look at the bottom of the ladder and you despair about the teams down there. Sometimes you look at it and uh, you look at it very positively. Unusual for me to be a glass half full person, but I certainly am in the case of the Sydney Swans finally. They finished 16th, only won five games, lost 12. They ranked 15th for points scored and 12th for fewest points conceded. But uh, I look at them at the end of this season and I think they have got a bright future. I think they've unearthed some Really outstanding young players. You know I love James Rowbottom. Uh, I thought this year they really unearthed a few more. Justin McInerney, he could be anything, I reckon. James Bell played some good footy. Big Hayden McLean looked promising for them. Can they get Buddy Franklin back into the equation? Who knows? But uh, he was certainly missing in terms of scoreboard impact this season. Could probably use a bit more help midfield, the likes of Josh Kennedy and Luke Parker. But uh, they had a truckload of injuries. They were a young list anyway. So I think they battled on really, really well. Seldom got blown away in typical Swans fashion. 
And I think the pluses looking ahead to 2021 were considerable. I am very positive about the Swans' future. How are you about them? Here, here. Yeah, look, it's a great season when at the end of the year you can name two, let alone three or four players that are clearly going to be 150-game-plus players for the club that you could not have guaranteed that prior to the start of the season. Now, Tom McCartan, he is going to be a fantastic defender. He's, you know, he was good up forward, but, boy, he reads the play beautifully as a defender. McInerney, sweet mover, and your man, Rowbottom, are all set for long and serious futures at the Sydney Football Club. I've gone through the list of injured players of note for other clubs. This is where it really makes a statement. Buddy Franklin, 17 games. Isaac Heaney, 11. Sam Reid, 7. Dane Rampey, 6. Josh Kennedy, 5. Callum Sinclair, 4. I mean, that's that's serious. Tom Papley, 26 goals. And Will Haywood, 10. We're the only two players to kick 10 or more goals through the season. So that says something. Sydney Swans had 13 goalless quarters and three scoreless quarters. So there were times that they really struggled, but they never dropped their um, rating and they never gave the season up. And you can look at a couple of other teams and say, you know, did you pack up a little bit early? But you can't say that of the Sydney Swans who gave Geelong an absolute fright and a half in the very last game of the season for a really telling, you know, it was an important game for the Cats and boy, it went right down to the last kick. It just showed the character of the Sydney football side. So I'm with you. I'm bullish about them. And we don't know about Buddy. We don't know about Jay Danaher, who might even go there. I do know if Heaney and Rampy were in that team, they would have won more than five, a lot more. Yeah, I, I look, at it, it's all signs positive. The other thing I like about them too is that I think there's more strings to their bow in terms of how they play their footy now. I mean, it's become such a cliche, you know, the gritty hard-working swans, you know, we know that they soak up a lot of pressure in their back 50 and attack on the counter, you know, the contestable stuff. Well, they're, you know, they're sort of indicators in the harder aspects of the game actually weren't that great. Um, uh, they ranked third last for scores per inside 50. That's a, a comment on the, uh, I guess, the... Uh, Undermanned forward setup. You know, you had Todd Papley, a small, a small man, basically as their key forward, which uh, doesn't all go well uh, for the long term. So plenty of ifs and buts about the forward setup. But I think you know they've become more of an outside team, and I think they needed that. And um, yeah, uh, as you say, the injuries, given the lack of depth anyway on that list, the injuries were absolutely critical to their fortunes. And given all those obstacles. I think it's been a really positive year. I'm pretty sure the Swans will think it's a positive year. I know their supporters think it's a positive year. So certainly a perennial near the top of the ladder hasn't been the case for a couple of years now, but I can see them getting up into the top half again sooner than later. All right, we've got two teams left to talk about. Let's do them. Well, I mentioned uh, a car crash for Essendon earlier. This was uh, the car they crashed into 
It was a miserable year for the North Melbourne Football Club. Finished 17th with just three wins and 14 losses. And it seems so long ago now, won their first two games. Of course, the first game of the season, uh, win in that aborted season start back in March, great comeback win against St Kilda. Even when the season returned uh, in mid-June, they managed to win their second game against GWS, and that looked like a pretty good win at the time. Uh, then proceeded to lose 14 of the last 15 games, some in abject fashion where they scarcely look competitive. Uh, and North have reacted already very savagely. 11 players cut in one fell swoop a few days back. Some big names among them. Matt Jack Dorr has gone. Jasper Pittard, who'd only been there two seasons, he's gone. Veteran Jamie McMillan has gone. Plenty more besides speculation, as we talked about early over, well, not speculation, Ben Brown has officially been put on the trade table. Even speculation about Sean Higgins who has been their best-performed player for a number of years now. Um, Jack Zebel getting on, Ben Cunnington injured. Also. It was just a nightmare of a season, finally. I guess the good news, if you're a North fan, is it's made them realise uh, pretty um, definitively where they're at and that major surgery is required. And the operation has already begun. Where do the roos go from here, you think? I'll tell you what, if I owned a duffel coat, if I was a North Melbourne fan with a duffel coat, I'd be very nervous that the bloke on the back of it had much life left at the football club. Oh, well, you'd, get Vel- you'd get Velcro names and numbers, I think. That's what, yeah, that's right. I'd be, lo- I'd be looking for um, uh, probably, yeah, I'd probably just be sticking with Tarrant. <laughs> I think that might be the only safe bet in the entire club. The fact is, that early season form evaporated about the same time in round three that they chose to play Ben Cunnington with a back injury, something that Reshaw would go on to admit was an absolute error and something that he took responsibility for. But from that point on, he was playing no injured players. In fact, he, was, he wasn't even playing fit players that should have been in the team. Jared Pollack came under his, um, you know, sort of fell, un- fell under... Fell under uh, his anger or, or, I don't know, the reason behind Pollock going from favoured status to disliked, but it seemingly happened overnight in a game against Carlton where he played quite well. We know the Ben Brown saga. We saw the entire list basically given an opportunity. And some surprising players being shown the door. The future for North Melbourne is bottom up and that means be prepared for a slow rise from 18th, 17th this year, but I think 18th beckons. On the injured list, Cunnington missed 14 games, Zeeble 9 and Davis Uniaki. A bright spark by season's end, missed 8. Zerha with 18 goals and Nick Larkey with 14 with a major goal kickers. Larky kicked 14-4, accurate, which is good. Three players kicked above 10 goals. Ten times they were goalless and an embarrassing four scoreless quarters for North Melbourne. Um, it's been a long time since North Melbourne were a 
perennial obvious salad dweller, but I think we're going back to the days of the um, very early 70s and 60s for a couple of years for North Melbourne. I can see no other way, but up from 18th. Uh, it's got that feel about it. Uh, look, we owe North fans at, uh, at least some positives. I, I've got a couple. I think Jai Simkin uh, has really become a model player for them. He, he's he's tough, but you know he's got a bit of silk about him as well. He's reliable. He's certainly a stayer. Um, Luke Davies Uniac, as you mentioned, uh, particularly in the back half of the season, became a lot more consistent. Very highly rated, so I think you're going to see him continue to develop. Cam Zerha, look, he, he, you know, he's a bull, and I think there's certainly some future there. Larky, jury's still out on him for mine. He's a bit up and down, but there's some promise, I think. I didn't mind uh, Jack Marnie either. Um, the uh, Troy Makepeace lookalike. He's not lookalike, but he's small and nuggety, and he wears number 35. But I thought he gave good value too. So, look. There's a small group of players I think that they can be enthused about. But this is, there's no doubt, and they've clearly recognised it, a major list rebuild about to take place. We haven't seen a lot of these in league footy in recent years. I think there's more than, uh, it's more than likely we're going to see not just North, but a couple of clubs go that route now. Interesting times ahead for the shin boners. We've got one side left to talk about. Well, their lowest finish ever, uh, uncharted territory for the Adelaide Football Club in uh, 30-odd years in AFL company. But they knew what they were coming into this season under new coach Matthew Nix. They knew it was a rebuild that was going to have to take place. And they stuck to the, their guns on that score, I think. A lot of players went through the lineup, And I think in the end, they unearthed a bit of promise. They also avoided the dreaded winless season that a lot of people, yourself included, finally thought was an absolute certainty. Only a few games out, ended up jagging three wins in a row. So they finished last on the ladder, their first wooden spoon, three wins, 14 losses, last in the competition for points scored, last in the competition for fewest points conceded. I don't think it was an unrelenting picture of gloom. Um, what do you think of the Crows? Well, of course, those three wins in a row meant that it certainly wasn't unrelenting. They had a pretty good run with injury, actually. Tom Dode missed eight, Sloan five, and Tom Lynch four from the Notables. Uh, Taylor Walker, 15. Shane McAdam, 12, were the only players to kick more than 10 goals. And they were goalless on 13 occasions and on one occasion scoreless for a quarter. Look, they unearthed some players. More importantly, they unearthed a whole lot of spirit by season's end. They would have liked the extra five games. You know, what looked to be just a, a horrible year in the end has a list of players with an appetite to go on. Now, there's going to have to be some tough decisions made. The Taylor Walker question is a really interesting one. He certainly uh, is part of that 18, and there's a spot for him there. But he won't be there the next time they make the finals. And, you know, he's not a mark. He's not a big mark taker. He's not a big goal kicker. He's more spiritual than actual. And the question is, 
do they go on with him or do, do they look for that leadership role to be filled by younger men with longer futures? It's an interesting question that needs to be answered by Matthew Nix and not an easy one. Those are the tough ones for new coaches. Um, they've in, unearthed some promising players. I'll let you run through them in a moment, but I'll say this for the Adelaide Crows, like a West Coast Eagles, um, they're a team that's not going to be down for very long. May it be by virtue of a strong home state advantage and a big parochial home state following that will not allow them to be on the bottom and Port Adelaide to be on the top for very long. They're a team that I think is destined to rise fairly quickly. Now, that will be dependent on a couple of things. It'll be dependent on whether or not they're really going to take the knife to the list and maybe want to bottom out further. But I think they've got a team there that can certainly go up uh, up three or four places very quickly and work from there. So no need to stay down the bottom. I think they should keep the midfield with the two crouches, work around them, an ageing Sloan, he helps, but I'd, I'd keep the, the two crouches, Riley O'Brien and all the promising youngsters that they've put on the field this year gives them some hope for the future, right? I, th- I think this was a, a textbook first year of a rebuild. And if other clubs are going to do this next year, uh, I reckon you could look at how Matthew Nix and the Crows handled it. They were prepared to put the kids in and they're prepared to play them for extended periods. And uh, I think it was nine debutants, so that's a lot. Most of them had serious game time and played decent numbers of games. The standouts for me, I really like Lockie Scholl. Uh, He just got better and better. I really like the nuggety little Harry Schoenberg too. I think he's got a bit of excitement and a bit of zip and a bit of, uh, you know, uh, the other S word in him. Um, More senior players, Shane McAdam, I thought, looked really promising for them. And I think Tyson Stengel can... Uh, have a bit of the Eddie Betts factor about him too. I thought he showed as much promise as he's shown in his career so far. So plenty of work to be done. Look, I I don't mind Elliot Himmelberg up forward either and Darcy Fogarty. It's been a slow burn, but I think he could be good for them too. So they've got prospects in most parts of the field. Uh, I agree with you. I think they're generally a solid club. They've had their issues lately, but I think they can turn this around on field pretty quickly. And uh, look, it was a bumpy road for Matthew Nix, but I uh, full credit to him for negotiating it reasonably smoothly without a lot of unrest about where they're at and a bit of realism. And that's what you need when, in the, when you're in the Crows position. Well, that's our show. Uh, in case you're wondering uh, what's going on, well, uh, the players have a weekend off. Uh, we're going to have a weekend off too. We don't do it often. But uh, no podcast this Sunday night. We will return next Thursday, of course, with uh, on the first day of the first week of finals. With uh, We'll have some extensive previews of four massive finals in week one of the final series. Always love the first four finals. We'll have uh, plenty of news floating around as well. Uh, but before we leave... Finey, uh, a shout out to our wonderful sponsors, if you please. Andrews Hamburgers, we really do appreciate their continued support. And if you can support them, 
at the moment in lockdown form within the five kilometre radius, or hopefully that will be eased shortly and you can come from farther afield, then please get to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park and support the crew that support us. And likewise, if you're in the market for a new house or a rebuild or a renovation, inner city suburbs, the likes of Middle Park, Albert Park, South Melbourne, that area, then think of West Point Properties and Nick's Bartels. And we appreciate your support too. And you can tangibly support us in a couple of ways. Uh, you can head to the ACAST supporter page right here where you're listening to this very podcast. And if you care to leave a donation there and uh, a number of people have, and we're very grateful for that. Uh, the other way of supporting Footyology, the brand, as well as the podcast, is to head to our Patreon page, as uh, plenty of people are doing, and we're very grateful for that support. It helps keep this whole operation alive. And please head to the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. Some wonderful uh, reading on there. And it's not just football. We've got social commentary. We've got stuff on music, movies. TV fresh up today, as a matter of fact, Francis Leach has chosen his top five live albums of the 1970s. So, if you're a bit of a dinosaur with your rock music, finding like we are, uh, you will certainly relate to that. Um, I had fun doing the artwork with that because it was all the old album covers. But uh, head to Footyology and check that one out, it's a good read. Martin Flanagan wrote a terrific piece this week on the future of journalism and the importance of maintaining it. That's well worth a read. Shelley Ware did a great piece about the futures of the players who have this week already been delisted and obviously a lot more on that front to come as uh, the season ends and we approach the trade period. But there's plenty of good reading there. And uh, people are getting on board. The numbers are good. So we're really wrapped about that. Grateful for your support. Spread the footyology gospel if you can. Have a great football-free weekend. We're going to kick back a bit and prepare ourselves for what should be a great final series. And we'll see you again next Thursday.